Salam everyone, welcome back to another Nurain um, episode. <laughs> we really do need a new intro, it's starting to get old. But as always, I'm Asil and this is Samaya. And today, I'm actually going to let Samaya kind of introduce what we're doing, but we're just going to be reflecting over a couple of verses um, from Surah Al-An'am. I believe Ayah is 160 to 165. So I'm going to go ahead and pass it over to Samaya. She's going to kind of read the translation and do a little bit of a mini tafsir, and then we will go from there, inshallah. So, yeah. Yeah, so um, like Asil said, today we're going to be doing another Quran-based episode. I think we have two other Quran-based episodes. Um, so we have one where we kind of just spoke about our journeys with the Quran and that episode is called Your Life's Anchor. Um, love that episode. We both really loved recording that one. So I would go listen to it. Um, and then the other one we did was a tafsir based um, episode and it was the tafsir of the last page and a half of Surat Al-Furqan. Um, so that episode is called The Servants of the Most Merciful. Ibad um, rahman essentially, that is what that whole segment was uh, talking about. Um, and so this is the third Quran-based episode that we have on this podcast, even though I think we mention Quran verses in like every podcast episode that we yes. recorded. Um, we do want to bring out more like tafsir episodes. Um, I know that we were talking about mm-hmm. a few ideas, so um, I'm going to say just like let us know if you like this this style of recording um if you enjoy listening to these types of episodes i love how i say that in episodes and like we never get any feedback but you know, guys, <laughs> i'm gonna pretend like we're famous <laughs> on spotify believe it or not there is a q a that we will look at if people answer so yeah just throwing that out there yeah. you can put whatever comments <laughs> suggestions questions you may have into that box and we will look at it because it'll probably be the only one in there yeah yeah. (laughs) also i think since the last time we recorded we hit over a thousand um listens which is awesome yes we did we're like at 1060 something now yes we are already so close to 1100 so thank you guys for listening and supporting thank you mama since you're like the only one that listens to every episode (laughs) she's always the first one too she really is yeah um but yeah so lots of exciting stuff that was that was an exciting milestone to hit we also have um our like hitting our one year anniversary i loved that episode so go Mm -hmm. listen to that one too but anyway um Today, like Asil said, we're going to be reflecting on the last five verses of Surat Al-An'am. So from Ayahs 160 to 165. Um, And I love this last page of Surat Al-An'am. Honestly, I think it's my favorite page in the entire Quran. Um, It's really difficult to choose like your favorite ayah or, or, you know, your favorite surah. But genuinely, I, I think that right now, this page, this very last page of Surah 6, Surah Al-An'am, or Surah Al-An'am, is, it's genuinely so beautiful and so powerful. And I, when I first came across it a few months ago, I couldn't believe that I had never seen these verses before um, because they are so, so powerful. Like, they genuinely are. They're beautiful. And I feel like, for me at least, especially when I was first memorizing this page and when I first heard it, like, you just can't help but get so emotional because these verses, they really do pack a punch. Um, so 
I'm gonna just kind of read through the tefsir uh, or the translation of the last five verses. Um, we were initially going to do this episode only about um, Ayah, which one is it? 162, um, because that one really is just, it's like, I would say the most powerful mm -hmm. on, on this page. Um, but I decided that, you know, we can just take it a few ayahs before that, a few ayahs after it, just to kind of give the whole picture. So, ayah 160, again, this is Surah Al-An'am, um, which is Surah number 6 in the Qur'an. So, in ayah 160, Allah says, um, Whoever comes with a good deed will be rewarded tenfold, but whoever comes with a bad deed will be punished for only one, and none will be wronged. So that's the first one. We'll go into them in depth in a second. Um, and then the ayah after that, this is where I really just get, I feel like, emotional every time. But Allah says, Say, O Prophet, surely my Lord has guided me to the straight path, a perfect way, the faith of Abraham, the upright, who is not one of the polytheists. And then ayah 162. Say, surely my prayer, my sacrifice, my life, and my death are all for Allah, Lord of all worlds. He has no partner, so I am commanded, and so I am the first to submit. Say, O Prophet, should I seek a Lord other than Allah while he is the Lord of everything? No one will reap except what they sow. No soul burdened with sin will bear the burden of another. Then to your Lord is your return, and he will inform you of your differences." And then the last ayah, he is the one who has placed you as successors on earth and elevated some of you in rank over others, so he may test you with what he has given you. Surely your Lord is swift in punishment, but he is certainly all forgiving, most merciful. So those are the last five verses of the surah. Um, so yeah, as you can tell, a lot to say. I feel like there's a lot to say. Um, so if we want to just go ahead and start with Ayah 160, um, and work our way downwards, I guess. All right. So <clears throat> Ayah 160, just to kind of reiterate it, it says, whoever comes on the day of judgment with a good deed will have 10 times that the like thereof to his credit. And whoever comes with an evil deed will not be re recom recompensed, recompensed, recompensed. Is that how you say that? Mm -hmm. Guys, look, sometimes <laughs> words are really hard except the like thereof, and they will not be wronged. I think that this ayah, I'm going to be honest with you guys, when I first came here, I was thinking we were only doing like ayah 162. So that's when I really spent my time just really dissecting, because I feel like you could spend hours just talking about that <coughs> one verse and connecting a bunch of um, other ayat to it, because it, it, that ayah in and of itself is kind of like the purpose of what it, what it means to be Muslim. Like that, that ayah summarizes everything. Um... But this, I, I think it just comes to show a lot of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's qualities and attributes and just shows the reality of the situation. And I think that this is, this is really, it shows Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's gratitude, I mean, his, his, his mercy upon us. You know, one good thing is like 10 times thereof. And like that's reiterated throughout the entire Quran, like the value of good that you do. I think that's something that we often, we often forget. We're like, oh, well, if I do this, what am I going to get in return? But what you what you don't realize is that you're always going to be recomp recompensated for everything that you do. And when you do good, it's 10 times more. I mean, that's from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's bounty. That's from his, his mercy. 
on all of us mankind. We don't deserve the reward of 10 times of what we did, but he gives it to us because he loves us. And I think that's something that kind of just goes to show that's a motivational factor for doing good, doing good in your private life, doing good in your public life. Because remember, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala hears all and he sees all. Furthermore, it goes on to talk about how the opposite of that, you know, but subhanAllah, it's saying an evil deed will essentially be, be like, I guess this, what's the word that I'm looking for? Like the, um, it's one to one. The ratio is one to one versus one to 10. And I think that's something that, we also have to recognize that's also from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's mercy. That's also from his his um his forgive his his qualities of being forgiving and all of these things is that he's not going to punish you more than you deserve, but he's going to reward you more. And I think that right there is a is motivation to do better. And I think something that that's something that we see with everything that's going on in Palestine and stuff. We need motivation to do better. We need a reminder that it's all worth it. Doing good is worth it. Standing for what's right is is worth it you know the best form of jihad is is um what is it now that i'm trying to think of the exact words um saying 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 a thing of saying a word of truth in the face of an oppressor that in and of itself is also a good deed and therefore you're going to get rewarded for it so continue to stand up continue to do what what is right continue to worship allah even when you feel like the whole world is against you um and when talking about the Day of Judgment, remember that these people aren't going to get away with anything. And right now, that's a source of comfort. Every single evil thing that anybody does, it's going to be, it's going to be, it's going to be shown. Nothing will be hidden on that day. And so I think that that ayah just, it's motivation and it's comfort for the next life and for the Judgment Day. And for us to remember that doing good really does pay off. It really is worth it. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think that a lot of people... You know, they see Islam as something that's so rigid, so strict, so impossible almost. Um, they don't understand, you know, why you can't do this or why you have to do that or why you have to be so disciplined. Um, and they think it's a very harsh religion. I mean, that's something that I think all of us have to deal with that stereotype where everyone thinks that Islam is very violent and harsh and not, um, not, not merciful, not full of full of mercy but this is this verse it's not just mentioned one time in the quran there are different variations of it throughout the entire quran where allah tells us that the reward of one good deed or doing one good deed is always multiplied whereas doing a bad deed is always going to be recorded as just one bad deed and that by itself is like Asid was saying that is literally purely out of the mercy of allah because honestly, if Islam was so difficult and so rigid and so harsh, Allah could have said the opposite. You know, he very well could have said, if you do a bad deed, it's going to count as 10 times. But if you do a good deed, it's just one. But that's not the case. And it never has been understood to be that way by anyone who is Muslim and who has some knowledge. So this is very encouraging, right? It, it shows us that the value of a good deed, no matter how small, it's always going to be seen right? It's always going to be accounted for and it's going to be multiplied. So honestly, it's, and maybe we can do it in a whole episode kind of about this, but it's almost so impossible to end up with more sins than good deeds. Because first of all, anything small good that you do, such as even smiling at someone, multiply 10 times, right? Whereas if you do something wrong, it's only going to be counted one time. And also, if you if you ask for forgiveness, it's not going to be written at all. 
the angels, they take a few hours to write down your bad deeds because they're hoping that you will repent before they have to write it. So Islam is full of, of this mercy. And I think that this ayah, it's a, um, it's a beautiful one for sort of setting the stage for the rest of the verses that come after. Yeah, and I kind of wanted to highlight one more thing. When we were talking about this concept of good deeds being multiplied and bad deeds being multiplied, I think another thing we have to realize, and this was something that Sumaya and I learned a couple weeks back when we were um, when we were reviewing the tafsir of Surat al-Ahzab. And so a portion of that surah um, is talking directly to the wives of the prophets and giving them instructions. Um, and part of that was in Ayah 30, it shows the wife, the wife's status and their responsibility. And so it says, O wives of the Prophet, whoever of you should commit a clear immortality for her uh, immor- immorality, wow, for her the punishment would be double twofold, and ever is that for Allah easy. But then he also says, And whoever of you devoutly obeys Allah and his mes- messenger and does righteousness, we will give her reward twice, and we have prepared her for a noble provision. So something interesting that I personally would never have thought of this way unless we... Um, we reviewed the tafsir of that surah, was that our, our Ustada was telling us that essentially the concept of this though is that when you have a higher status in this life and you have, think of it like having an easier life for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has, you know, you know, made your life easier, you have a higher status in some way or another, your punishment is going to be amplified the same way that your reward is going to be amplified. And I think that's something that we should see that when we're in a, when we are in positions of, um, like, we live in America. We are very, very blessed. And therefore, compared to other people around the world, our status in terms of our living comforts, regardless of, like, your economic uh, economic situation or whatever, just living in America in and of itself gives us almost like a higher status than people that are living in third world countries. We have it easier to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We, it's easier for us to freely express what is right and what is wrong and to do what is good and to do what is bad. And so, therefore, we have to recognize that this ayah, yes, it's talking specifically to um to the wives of the prophet it's something that we must apply and recognize for our lives as well is that because we live in this state of comfort because we we have this luxury we have to recognize that when we do good it will also be amplified so you should try your best to do good but also realize when you neglect allah when you when you have when it's easy for you to worship him but you choose to neglect him that is that is a lot heavier on your scale so i think we should also show that as well because like okay i do good my reward is 10 times fold, okay, that's fine. But when you do bad and you are in a position of, of quote-unquote power living in America, if you're living in America or any country where you have some form of stability, right, also recognize that when it's easier for you to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala but you choose not to, the, the punishment will be greater. So I think that's something we also should highlight. Yeah, for sure, because with, again, like with an increase in your status, you have an increase in responsibility Mm -hmm. and you also have an increase in punishment. It's interesting that you bring this up because my mom and I were actually talking about this because in Surat An-Nisa, there is a different ruling where um, verse 25 speaks about uh, slave women Mm -hmm. and slave women actually have a... So if, if they, for example, it's talking about in the context of zina, if they present with with adultery, they actually get half the punishment of a free woman. So it's very interesting. This is something I did not know again until we studied that for the wives of the prophet and for people who, and of course, none of us women are going to be at their status, but for us now that, that we have the knowledge, right, we have some sort of knowledge, 
if you have the knowledge and then you choose to do something wrong, that counts more for you because you knew what you were doing is wrong, right? Take someone who maybe did not really grow up in a religious household and um, they don't really have that much knowledge. Of course, it's their obligation to seek it, but they don't know. They do something wrong. Of course, only Allah knows, but their punishment is not going to be the same as someone who knew 100% that this is wrong, why it was wrong, where it was mentioned, and then they still did it anyway. Um, so it is really interesting to see that with an increase in your status, you get an increase in responsibility. You also get an increase in punishment, but the opposite is also true. I think it's so interesting to see that, for example, slave women at that time were only um, expected to receive half the punishment, even if they weren't... Uh, you know, unknowledgeable, just their, their status as a slave, mm -hmm. you know, made them already like, okay, you're going to get less punishment because you don't, you're not on the same level. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Okay, <laughs> next time. Do you want me to read it or do you want to read it? I mean, I read the last one, so it's okay. Oh, okay. So, um, ayah number 161, this is kind of where we get into it. So, um, Allah is, is telling the Prophet to say something, and obviously he's telling him to say it to his people, to the Quraysh. Um, I love this verse so much. Um, Allah says, قُلْ إِنَّنِي هَدَانِي رَبِّي إِلَى صِرَاطٍ مُسْتَقِيمٍ دِينًا قِيَمًا مِلَّةَ إِبْرَاهِيمَ حَنِيفًا وَمَا كَانَ مِنَ الْمُشْرِكِينَ So Allah says, Say, O Prophet, Surely my Lord has guided me to the straight path, a perfect way, the faith of Abraham, the upright, who is not one of the polytheists. So um, here, Ibrahim, again, Prophet Ibrahim is referred to as a monotheist. This is, I think, even another episode we can do talking about how, you know, the prophets before were still Muslim, even though um, their message was not necessarily the exact message that came to Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, right? There are variations in what the prophets received, but the underlying concept was the same of monotheism, of believing in Allah and Allah only, of submitting yourself. And that's why Prophet Ibrahim was a Muslim, just like any of the prophets were Muslim. Um, but I think this, this to me, this ayah just brings just a, like, a, like a smile on my face because it's like, you know that Allah has guided you to the straight path, the same path that Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, was on the same path that Prophet Ibrahim was on before that. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. No, I love that ayah a lot. I'm trying to actually pull it back up because it, like, disappeared on me. And I had a really good point for it. So give me one second. Okay. Well, do you have any other points? Like, <laughs> like my, my phone just, or like, just completely stopped working. No. Um, yeah, I don't really know what else to say. No, but hold on. I got something. <laughs> My phone, okay, it's like in a really old phone, so give it a second. <laughs> this to episode is kind of all over the place. I don't think just so. Just to think bear with us. Guys. Okay, there we go. I got it. So, the way the faith of the upright who is not who is not one of the polytheists. So I think that's something. Also, this is kind of a lesson that we can get from that is when you when you follow people, and this is a common theme throughout the Quran. It always tells you not to follow, you know, the footsteps of your forefathers if they've wrong they've done wrong. And I think this is something that we also have to take into consideration is that whenever we're choosing to follow a path or see people as role models, see what their true message really was. Like Sumaya, she made a really good point. There are variations in what was revealed, obviously, because Islam is kind of a culmination in a complete um, sense of truth or com complete completed message, right? But 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is still telling him, like, tell your people to follow the same path as him. So follow the, the path of the good. Follow, follow the path of the righteousness. So even if that's not necessarily what your family may have originally, you know, might have been doing or, you know, all of these things, maybe maybe your family or the way you grew up it was just more in a cultural setting rather than a... Um, and then an Islamic one, and you learn those cultural things, but then you're starting to come, like Samaya and I are talking about, you're increasing in knowledge and you're recognizing that these things might not necessarily be correct, and I'm not necessarily following the footsteps of Abraham, of Ibrahim, like it's saying in the Quran, due to reasons X, Y, and Z, Allahu Alam, God knows best. Um, make that conscious decision. This ayah is telling us to make that conscious decision to follow what was right, follow what is right, inform ourselves, educate ourselves, and see why it's right, see why he was not one of the polytheists, and then move our ways, or move our way from there, so. I think when you read verses like this, too, talking about guidance, like, I think one of your first reactions should be to ask Allah to always keep you on that guidance, because things can change so quickly in the blink of an eye, you know, I think we've all seen people who lived a life of religiosity and then suddenly it's like the complete opposite. So when you read ayats like this, I think it's so important to really appreciate it. You know, to really appreciate the guidance that you've been given, the fact that you're sitting here reading the Qur'an, reading Allah's words, Allah's speech to you. Um, I think that helps also, you know, it helps you connect with the Qur'an. Um, being able to look at Qur'an verses and figure out how you can personalize the message, how you can apply it to your life, that is how you're going to build an actual connection and be able to connect with the ayat. So when you read something like this, like, how does this apply to me, you know? Um, so I think that you just have to really appreciate the guidance that's been given to you and make an effort to stay on the path of guidance by doing your acts of worship, by learning more, by increasing your knowledge, um, by getting involved in your community. Um, but it's, it, it is, it is really beautiful to know that you're not on this path alone. Like, this is not just you walking on this path by yourself, that there have been several people that have come before you that have walked this path and it's been much more difficult for them and they've paved the way for you and that inshallah you're also paving the way for other people, but you're not by yourself. And I think... Like it's in sorry. the Quran, right? It's yeah. You're not by yourself. And I think another point when you're talking about paving this path and this is something that this verse is emphasizing, it's not just a path, it's the perfect path. It is the perfect way and I think that as someone who is like going through like transitioning stages in her life moving from one chapter to the next and is just really trying to form an identity and form who you are you often think well what is like is this what's best for me like how do i know what if this is not the right path that i'm going down what if you have all of these what ifs but subhanallah and, and the beautiful thing about this ayah it is reassuring you it is reminding you that there's no such thing as what if when you're following this path it's perfect why wouldn't you want to follow the perfect path you know what I mean? These are the words of Allah, and indeed the promise of Allah is true. And I think this is something I remind myself a lot of whenever I'm going through something difficult, whenever I feel like I can't make up my mind on something, you know, trying to choose a major. That's hard in and of itself, you know, trying to choose a path of life. But then you remember, as long as I follow Allah's path, then I'm following the perfect path. And therefore, everything that happens to me is khair. Everything that happens to me is goodness. And what more could you want? The word perf perfection, we can never become perfect that is not something like human and perfect 
in one sentence don't go well together you know we're never going to be perfect that is only attributed to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the message that he has sent down upon us however what we can do is we can try our best try our best to follow the perfect path sometimes we might slip up sometimes we might fall off but you keep following it and you will end up in the best destination possible um, and I yeah. think it's so interesting that you brought that up too because our paths in this life are very uncertain. Like you, like you were saying, before you embark on something, before you choose something, you you are a little bit scared, right? You're, you're a little bit unsure. What if it doesn't work out? What if, you know, I choose this and something else is meant for me? What, you know, you, you, you have all these um, uncertainties. But the thing about Allah's path is that you don't have any uncertainties there because Allah lays it out very clearly. You do these types of things. You have these types of characteristics. You um, practice these types of things. You're going to Jannah, you know? Or on the other hand, you do these kinds of things to people. You're like this way. You reject, blah, blah, blah. Very clearly, okay, you know where your destination is. Or when you slip up, this is what you have to do. You know, it, there's no uncertainties because it's all laid out for you very obviously. So I think that that's really interesting that you that you said that because yeah, in this life we have so many things that we just are not sure about. Even if we pray istikhara before, you know, we do something or whatnot, you're, you're still a little bit like, hesitant. Uh, you're yeah, a little bit hesitant. But when it comes to uh, living your life according to Islam, which is what we're going to talk about in the next ayah, um, it's it kind of eradicates that feeling of uncertainty because you know that, okay, even though you might be uncertain about things here, you're not uncertain about what's going to happen after you die. Yeah. You know, you're not uncertain about your death. You're not uncertain about what comes next. You have it all laid out very clearly for you. So, yeah. I think that's something so beautiful. This this episode is about to be really long, but you just made a really good point. With everything that we've experienced in our personal lives and with everything that we see going around, and you talked about this concept of death, and I think that's something that's extremely relevant to the entire Muslim ummah right now. That is so beautiful that you just said that everything is laid out. Like the descriptions, I was re-listening to a series by Omar Suleiman about the Day of Judgment. It was a Ramadan series from about mm. two years ago. And subhanAllah, the exact details to the most minuscule things about the things that happen to us after we die, it is a perfect blueprint for those who choose to go and learn about it. It, it, it erases all forms of hesitancy in your life when it comes to like, okay, I know that the good I'm doing is going to be rewarded 10 times over, inshallah, and I know that if I ever make a mistake, I'm not going to be overly punished for it. So I'm, gonna, gonna, I'm going to continue to good, do good to follow on this perfect path. Because I know that as long as I do that, there is no hesit there is no uncertainty in what's going to happen to me after I die. Everything, every single detail of the trials of the grave and what we're going to see if you're a good, if you were a good person and you tried your best to follow the perfect path versus if you chose to disbelieve, if you chose to ignore Allah Subhanahu Wa message, it's all written right there, and that that comes to show the uniqueness as well as the beauty of Islam. It is so easy. It is so easy, and it's it was clearly, clearly, for somebody that's an outsider, like these people that are picking up the Qur'an and just reading it, it is it is so clear that whoever's words these are, obviously we know that they're Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's words, but say that you didn't. It is so clear that whoever wrote this book cares about for their readers so, so much. Whoever put together this perfect path only wants what's best for you. And I think that's just such a comforting factor, and it gives you more of a reason to follow what we're going to talk about in the next ayah. So, yeah. Yeah, and just to kind of <laughs> add on to that, um, some people may argue, well, 
there's a lot of things you guys don't know in Islam. You know, like, there's a lot of things. We, we don't know the soul, for example. Oh, yeah. well, what is the soul? I have no idea, you know. Even Allah tells us in the Quran, you have been given very little knowledge about the soul. He says that in Surah mm-hmm. Al-Isra. Or things like, we don't know, you know, specifics about what happens in the grave. We don't know specifics yeah. about um, about exactly what, you know, the day of judgment. But we have enough to where it's comforting. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, there are questions that we can say, we don't know that. But Allah tells us what we need to know. And the amount that he gives us is perfect for us to be able to somewhat grasp, right? Because things like afterlife, you know, like the afterlife or in the grave, it's things that we can't comprehend because we only know this life. We don't know what death feels like. We don't know what our soul is going to experience after or how that feels, right? But Allah gives us enough to where it's like comforting. So we're not left like not knowing anything, but it's also not too much to where we're just constantly thinking about like death all the time or what happens afterwards. Um, I have been to a couple of janazas in the past month. And I, I will say that it is such a comforting thought when you go to a, a janaza, even though you're sad and you're experiencing all of these emotions, it's very comforting to know exactly what's happening to these. Yeah. Of course you don't know exactly what's happening to this person, but you take a lot of comfort in the fact that you know the way that this person lived their life, you know? Mm-hmm. You know that the way this person carried out their their obligations and their duties, and you just hope in the mercy of Allah for this person. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I find it so interesting how um, our, our graveyard, you know, the, the Muslim graveyard here, when you before you even really walk into the graveyard, there's a big sign that, that um, mentions a couple of ayahs about death, and then it gives you the draw that you're supposed to say when you walk into the graveyard. Like, already, even though you're in a state of sadness, right? Already, as soon as you walk in, it's, like, comforting. Because you're reminded, again, that this this life is not the life. So I think it's so it's so beautiful to be able to, to know that this is not it. And even though we can't really fully grasp that, we take comfort in the things that Allah has told us. Because we know that these people, even like the people in Palestine, we know they're dying and it's so, it's so horrible and the things that are being done to them are so horrible, but we're not worried about those that died. You know, like we know that they're being taken care of. That is where the resilience and the strength comes from. So I think that it's just, um, it's really, it's really beautiful to know that, yeah, we don't know every little detail, but we know enough to put us at a sense of ease, even when calamity strikes. Yeah. So. And we're able to understand, like, the details that are, have been given to us when I was saying that, it's more of, like, compared to other religions, right? They don't oh, really yeah. have that at all. Yeah, yeah. Like, people have no idea. They're like, oh, you know, well, we're all going to go to, you know, well, I don't really know what they believe in. It's not my space to, to speak on other people's behalves. But what I do know is that we know way more than them. And the, like Sumaya mentioned, the level of understanding is exactly what we are able to comprehend. Any more than that would have been too much. Because, like somebody said, there are uncertainties when it comes to, like, you know, the specifics about our soul or this or that. But it's it's been explained to our level of comprehension. It's not like taking calculus and trying to teach it to a kindergartner. Like, that's not going to work. You know, and so the same thing applies when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is giving us these details and is giving us these, these descriptions of things. It comforts us. It teaches us just enough. No more and no less. So, yeah, and, like, the people of Philistine, I was really thinking about that. I was like, why... Why is this happening to a Muslim woman? Like, that's something that really did cross my mind. I was like, why is it always a Muslim? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. And then I thought about it. I was like, if it was any other people, 
that were going through these atrocities, like, and the majority of them were non-Muslim, um, the way that the, the Palestinians in Gaza are, and the West Bank at this point are, are facing things, people could easily turn that around and say, look at God. Yeah. Look at how unmerciful, look at what's happening to these people. They can't control themselves. They don't know what to do with themselves. You know, look at God. Why is he, why is he doing this to innocent people? But when it's happening to the Palestinians in, in, in Gaza and in the West Bank, it's like, look at what's keeping them so strong through all of this. The narrative is switched, and that just comes to show Allah's Fantana's wisdom. So anyway, that was a really big tangent. But um, okay, the next ayah, which is the one that we really want to spend time on, it says, "Say, surely my prayer, my sacrifice, my life, and my death are all for Allah, Lord of the worlds." And I know somebody has so much she wants to say on this, but this was kind of what I was talking about at the beginning. This ayah, in and of itself, is the essence of the purpose of a believer. It is exactly what your life is all about. Everything that you do, everything, every single step that you take is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Every single breath that you take is for Him. And when you have Allah in your life, you have everything. And you recognize that when, when everything you do is, is for Him, you don't face any real loss. You don't really feel like you've lost anything. You know, you give, when you give charity, you give it knowing that there, you know, you give it knowing that there's going to be a reward for you in Jannah. And you give it knowing that nothing that, the reward of goodness is nothing but goodness. You know that you're going to receive something better. If it's not in this life, it's in the next. When you're going through a calamity and you have this where everything that you do, when you have this mentality of everything that you do is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, nothing really, it doesn't hurt as bad. You know, of course there are the human emotions. Of course, of course there are things that, you know, that gives us our, our humanness. But when you do it for the sake of Allah, you can endure anything and you are able to, to, to do it because you're holding, like we always say, you're holding the strongest of hands, you know, and when you, when you hold on to something that is strong, you become strong. When your foundation is strong, you are strong. And I think that, yeah, this ayah just perfectly encompasses what it means to be a true, a true believer. Um, it's not, it's not superficial. It, it reminded me of an ayah of in um i'm trying to think in surah al-baqarah and it's ayah it's ayah uh what is the ayah two i think it's 177 actually and it says yeah surah al-baqarah ayah 177 and it says righteousness is not turning your faces towards the east or the west and then it explains what righteousness truly is rather the righteous are those who believe in allah the last day the angels the books and the prophets who give charity out of the out of their cherished wealth to relatives, orphans, the poor, needy, travelers, beggars, and for freeing captives, who establish prayer, pay alms tax, and keep the pledges they make, and who are patient in the times of suffering and adversity, and in the heat of battle, in this case, it is they who are true in faith, and it is they who are mindful of Allah. I feel like those ayats come together so well because we often say, oh, I'm Muslim, you know, that's just saying that I'm Muslim is righteousness. But this ayah is literally saying, just because you go and turn towards this direction doesn't mean you're righteous, doesn't mean anything. You have to act upon it. You have to prove it. You have to show it. You have to see that every single thing that you do from assisting people to giving charity to being mindful of Allah, even in the hardest of circumstances, that's what it is about being, that's what it is. That's what true righteousness come from, comes from. That's where it originates from. When you dedicate everything in your life to him, and even your death, that's that's where the real purpose of life really comes from. So, yeah. Yeah. I feel like I don't even know what to say 
because this ayah is so comprehensive. Um, literally the first time I heard it, I was just sobbing. Like that, that's literally how I felt because like Asil said, it, it does, it encompasses your entire purpose as a believer. Um, I think though, and I'm, I'm interested, I'm going to ask you a question real quick from the four things that are mentioned. So Allah says your prayer, your sacrifice, your life and your death. Which one do you feel like resonates with you the most? I know my answer, but I'm like, okay. Because <laughs> I know my answer, too. Okay. I feel like... Okay. So, I feel like the over-encompassing ones, like, when you take these four factors, obviously your life and death are the biggest ones. Yes. Right? Because everything you do in life, your prayer and your sacrifice fall into your life. True. And your life falls okay. into your death. So, they're kind of like categories within categories. Of almost. course. They all connect. But when I... When I think of this, and I think of what have I done for the sake of Allah? What have mm-hmm. I chosen to do for Him? I have to say, it's it's sacrifice. And the reason why is because if it wasn't for Allah, I wouldn't have given up a lot of the things that I've given up. If yeah. it wasn't for Allah, I wouldn't have chosen to do certain things the way that I've chosen to do them. I wouldn't have chosen to... For example, this is an example I don't mind sharing. Giving up music, mm-hmm. right? I used to look like... I wasn't like crazy listening to music but I used to like whenever I would run or you know sometimes go on a drive with somebody or something and I think this is something we can both say um I I would listen to music like when I was running it kept you know kept you going and all of these things but I stopped and I stopped not because of anything for me personally because I know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala might not necessarily it's it's replacing what should be in my heart you know when you when you cut ties or you you do certain things for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala it's because that you know that you love Allah more than you love anything else and therefore you have to let go you know when you when you choose not to engage in certain things or go to certain events it's because you know that it's disliked from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he has chosen you not to so you sacrifice that a chance to make more friends you sacrifice that chance to go and have some fun you know when you, as a hijabi, when you cover your body, even though you might not, you might feel really good about it and taking you a long time to become confident in who you are, but you choose to cover. You you sacrifice that chance of going out and buying that really cute dress or that, that shirt because you know that that's frowned upon from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that he would dislike that. And I think that I've made a lot of sacrifices in my life and I say this at only 18 and I think that I'm going to continue to make more and more and the decisions I make are all for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and a lot of those decisions is just simply choosing not to do something that I wish I could do. You know what I mean? So, of course, your prayer, obviously, if you pray, it's for Allah. Yeah. You know, when you live life, when you when you have it for Allah, it's, I mean, it's easier than sacrificing things. Sometimes it's a struggle between your nafs, yourself, and and what you strive to do for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala but once you have those two aligned you know that it's all worth it yeah I completely agree I was gonna say sacrifice is my is my biggest thing too um and I remember when I when I first memorized this I I, I didn't know what what nusuki was you know because in, in Arabic it's uh salati wa nusuki wa mahiyaya wa mamati so I understand salah I understand mahiyaya mamati I, I wasn't sure what nusuki was until I looked at the translation, I was like, oh my god, that means sacrifice. And so I think that is part of what made me so emotional is, you know, just relating it to certain personal experiences that I've had in my life. And just like I was saying, things that I've had to give up, you know, it 
it reminds you of why you're doing what you're doing. It reminds you that there is a greater purpose for, for the reason why you're alive, that by sacrificing, sacrificing things for Allah's sake, you're actually doing something that you're supposed to be doing because your sacrifices are all for Allah. Um, and it reminds you that, that you're going to be rewarded for those things as well. Um, so yeah, for sure that, that sacrifice part was, was really, really, um, really impactful. I think also thinking about mamati, your death, um, I guess I had never thought about it before in the sense of my death is for Allah, you know, cause we all know we're dying and going to Allah. But when you think about, oh, like, my life, yes, you know, I've been thinking about, you know, yeah, my life is for Allah. I'm trying to live my life for Allah according to what he would, um, what he would like, according to the things that he commanded me to do. But you don't really think about your death being for Allah. And so when you think about it like that, I think it also can ease some of the um, worries or anxieties that you might have about death in general, just knowing that your death is literally for Allah's sake. Like, it, this is a, a difficult to comprehend, but you were put on this earth, I don't want to say as a pawn or a puppet, because no one is controlling you. But at the same time, like, you're just here to be here and then you're dying. Like, you're not really, you're not meant to stay here. And none, no one that was put on this earth was meant to stay here. So you realize like, yeah, okay, you're living and inshallah, we're dedicating our lives to Allah, but you also dedicate your death to Allah. You're going back to Allah, but it was just part of the natural process of things anyway. Like for a lot of us, we we feel like, you know, we want to run away from death. And that's that's another ayah in the Quran. Allah says, say that this this death that you guys are all running away from, like it's going to catch up to you. Like you're going to die. We try to delay death as much as possible. We never want to think about it. Right? We never want to think about death. We just want to delay it. We just want to never die. But the reality is that the, the natural order of things is that you're going to die. You were not meant to live forever and you were not meant to live here only. So I think that was also, that, that also hit me really hard too. Just like knowing that um, your death is for Allah. It's not just by Allah because it is by Allah, right? Allah knows when you're going to die, but it's also for Allah. Um, so, so yeah, that, that was interesting. Also in, um, in Surah Tawbah, there's a verse that is so powerful and I forgot it existed until I heard about, like I heard it again a couple days ago and it's so, it's so incredible, but Allah says, and I'm going to read, um, I'm going to read a part of this verse cause it's a little bit longer. It's Ayah 111 in Surah Tawbah. Allah says, and then later in the ayah, Allah says, And so the beginning part, I think, is, is so interesting. Allah says, Allah has indeed purchased from the believers, their lives and wealth in exchange for paradise. And I just want y'all to think about that for a second, because I think that that's so crazy. Um, I think that that is so crazy. Literally, Allah says he has purchased your life from you, from the mu'mineen and, and your wealth for paradise. 
And when you really think about paradise and you think about how important paradise is and everything we do here, everything we sacrifice, the way that we live our lives is so that we can get to paradise. We have to die in order to get to paradise, right? So a lot is saying, I have purchased your lives and your wealth from you in order to give you paradise. And I think that you can take this and, and put it in many different contexts. Obviously, like I'm not some professional scholar or, um, you know, professional person who does tafsir for the Quran. Like I don't have that knowledge. But, um, but when Allah says he has purchased your life from you, I think in a way when I think about that, it's like, yeah, there's going to be certain things that you that you're not allowed to do. There's going to be certain things that you just have to submit because Allah told you to. Um, but you're going to get paradise in exchange for that. Right? When you know who your life is in the hands of, nothing becomes that big of a deal. And that's why, and we keep bringing this back, but that's why even if, when you know the people of Palestine are losing everything in a material sense right in front of them, it's not that it's not a big deal, because obviously it is, and it really does impact you, but they know that they're going to paradise. So you're not living here as a forever life. Allah has purchased this life from you so that you can have Jannah. So you have to make sacrifices here. But you think about how minor those things are in comparison to paradise, you know? Like, even the example you gave earlier, like, okay, music, for example, if you think about, you know, I, oh, but I love music so much, blah, blah, blah. But do you love it enough to like, not go to Jannah? And I'm not saying that you're not gonna go to Jannah if you don't listen, if you listen to music. Like, I'm not, not making that claim no. at all whatsoever. But what I am saying is like, you realize how menial these things are here. Because Allah's literally telling you that if you just live life according to him, he's giving you paradise. And then later in the ayah, Allah says, this is a true promise binding on him as in Allah in the Torah, the gospel, and the Quran, and whose promise is truer than Allah's. And I love this part. So rejoice in the exchange you have made with him. That is truly the ultimate triumph. Rejoice in the exchange you have made with him. I think so many people tend to see Islam, again, like I said, as so restrictive so constricting. Oh, I can't do all these things that everyone else is doing. I can't wear these things. I can't go to the club. I can't like have a boyfriend, whatever. All these things that, that maybe people want so badly. But Allah saying again, he purchased your life from you. He's willing to give you paradise. So instead of being so sad about what you're quote unquote missing out on, um, Allah literally tells us rejoice in the exchange you've made with him. Because and I don't know how I'm going to feel when I'm just a soul, you know, standing in front of a law and judgment day. But I think and I can predict that when you're doing that, you're going to be thinking about everything in this life that you could have done more of, that you could have done better, that you shouldn't have done. You're you're not going to be like, oh, but th that that time of being in the club was worth it, though. It was, you're not going to be saying that, you know, you're not going to be saying that at all. You're going to wish you could come back and do more and do better. So recognize that now and rejoice in the exchange that you have made with Allah. Because again, like he says, this is the ultimate triumph. Being able to let go of certain things in this life and make those sacrifices, recognize that your life and your death are for Allah. They're for Allah's sake. And knowing truly, truly deep down in your heart that, that it's worth it. 
that you should be happy with your position here, not longing to have what other people have in this life. Um, and just very quickly, there's another um, part of, of an ayah in, or just there's another ayah in, in Surah Tfaltid. Um, and this is verse 29 of Surah Tfaltid. So I love this ayah so much, but um, it's a kind of, I mean, I, I don't think it's unrelated, but Allah says that, Again, So again, this exchange is mentioned. Allah says that surely those who recite the book of Allah, establish prayer, and donate from what we have provided them secretly and openly can hope for an exchange that will never fail. And I think that that is also something so powerful. Like in this life, again, we were talking about uncertainties or sometimes, you know, maybe you invest in something, you have no idea how it's going to turn out. You have no idea if you're actually going to make money from it. You have no idea if you're going to lose money from it. You know, maybe you invest in a stock or maybe you, whatever, whatever the case may be, you know, think about anything material wealth um, that you, you know, a trade or a transaction, an investment, you don't 100% know how it's going to turn out. But Allah says here that if you do the things that he has commanded you to do and you stay away from the things that he has prohibited you from, then you can hope for an exchange that will never fail. Because again, whose promise is truer than Allah's? You hope for an exchange that will absolutely never fail because if you follow Allah's path, you're guaranteed one destination and one destination only. There's no, there's nowhere else for you to go. So this is the kind of exchange that does not fail. And that's why salati wa nusuki wa That's it. That's the only reason. Because Allah tells you right then and there that everything that you're doing, it's for a purpose. It's for a reason. You're not going to regret it. You're not going to regret it. So you have to hope for this, this ultimate triumph, right? And in the next ayah of, of Fatlid, Allah says so that he will reward them in full and increase them out of his grace. That's the reason why he wants you to do what you're doing because Allah knows the reality. Allah created the reality, right? Some of us know the reality. Some of us are trying to teach others the reality, but if you don't if you don't know the reality, you don't recognize it and you don't care to know it, or you've heard it and you just don't want to follow it, Allah is literally like is trying to just get you to, to do what's right because he doesn't want you in the hellfire. He wants everyone to be part, part of this exchange that will never fail, right? Um, so I think that just keeping those few ayahs in mind and also, again, like coming back to this verse 162 of Al-An'am where Allah says, again, قُلْ إِنَّ صَلَاتِي وَنُسُكِي وَمَحْيَايَ وَمَمَاتِي لِلَّهِ رَبِّ الْعَالَمِينَ And the next ayah, لا شريك له so here Allah is saying, he has no partner, so I am commanded, and so I am the first to submit. I love that a lot. <clears throat> when you were talking about the ayah from um, Surah At-Tawbah, I believe, and you were talking about how, you know, we've made that, that um, deal is the word that I can think of at the moment, with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It reminded me, and I don't know if you mentioned this or not, I don't remember, but it reminded me of... Um, of the story about how all of our souls were gathered in mm-hmm. front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we each acknowledged him and made that covenant with him essentially. Yep. And that's that's what that, that reminded me of an Allahu Alam. I am not obviously a scholar as much as I would or would not love to be. I'm not a scholar, right? So I can't say that that's exactly what that ayah is alluding to, but there are definitely parallels between that story sure. and and um 
and what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is talking about, that transaction with him. And I find that so that's so beautiful. I've actually never noticed that ayah before. Mm. So when you were talking about that and you were talking about that transaction, it reminded me, and I go back to these ayat a lot. And like this the description of what happens once you're about to enter about to enter Jannah is mentioned throughout the Quran. There are numerous instances of it. But the one that really resonates with my soul, and I almost cry every single time I recite it, is from Surah Al-Fajr. And it says, mm-hmm. and it's the last couple ayat. It's like, I think the 27th one to the 30th mm-hmm. one or something like that. Yeah. And this is what life is all about. is when you show your prayer, your sacrifice, and your life and death are all for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you'll get to hear these words. And I want you to think about it for a second. I want you... To think about the most beautiful recitations you've ever heard. The most beautiful voice that you've ever heard. Now amplify that by a million. I can never even, you can't even grasp the concept of what it will be like to hear Allah. To hear the one who has created all of these beautiful things and all of these beautiful sounds that we've seen all around us. I can't even comprehend that. But Allah says that he will tell us. He will say to the righteous, the ones that live their lives by this ayah and by this book. O tranquil soul. Return to your Lord well-pleased with him and well-pleasing to him. So join my servants and enter my paradise. And that's why it's all worth it, guys. That's why everything is worth it. That's why every single sacrifice is worth it. Because you know that when you are righteous, that's what you're going to hear. And I think that's something that's... Now I'm getting all teary. (laughs) And I think that's something that's just really beautiful. Is because it's hard sometimes to, to... Specifically the sacrifice part. Now that you got me thinking about it, like... And it's that part, and like you were talking about death, it's really hard sometimes to grasp those concepts. It's really hard sometimes to let go of things. It's really hard sometimes to recognize that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, like we keep saying, his promise is true, and he tells us, every soul shall taste death. It is mentioned a numerous amount of times in the Quran. The one I'm thinking about is Surah Al-Anbiya. But, like, it's a promise. It, it's it's true. So, But this is also a promise. This is also saying, he will tell, these are the exact words that you are going to hear. As a, as, as a righteous person, as someone who has that tranquil soul, as someone who has an awakened heart, which I think we should do an entire episode about now that I'm thinking about it. But that's what makes this worth it. You know, thinking about the most beautiful things you can possibly ever imagine and amplifying that by a million. That's what it's like. And that's how you know that you're not even going to remember any of the pain that you felt. You're not even going to remember how hard it was. Because you did it, you did it for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's sake and therefore it's all worth it. Um, so I like to go back to those ayats a lot of just reminding myself whenever I feel like it's difficult sometimes to dedicate everything in your life to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Whenever you feel like you're having a struggle with your nafs, you remind yourself that when you do, when you do everything for the sake of Allah and you dedicate everything from the family you have not, you know, from the kids that you have not had yet to like, to like, to like your education. about like how I'm going to raise my kids. (laughs) No, I was really thinking about it earlier. I was like, I, I don't even know who I'm going to have with kids yet. I'm not even, that is not even there yet. But I do know one thing is for certain. And it's that inshallah, bi'ithnillah, that my, my children, if I ever am able to have any one day, those, I'm dedicating their lives as well as mine and raising them for the sake of Allah. And when you have that mentality, and this is something that I remember, I woke up randomly in the middle of the night one time, and I texted Samaya about this. I don't know why, but it was when I was at the camp. And, oh. um, yeah, she remembers. And so I was listening to a lecture, and it's called, okay, I don't remember what it's called. Oh, it's like, <laughs> when, when Allah loves you. It was like a Q&A yeah, with yeah. Bilal Asad. Um, and he was talking about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loving you with his special kind of love. And I, th- I really do believe that that's, 
that that's what happens whenever we dedicate our lives to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He ends up he ends up loving us in that this is gonna be a really long episode. But he ends up loving us with that special kind of love. And the hadith the the hadith Qudsi that he mentions aligns so beautifully with this ayah. It says, and I'm gonna try not to butcher it, but it says when I, this hadith Qudsi, so that means Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying this. When I love him, I am hearing I am his hearing with which he hears, his seeing with which he sees, his hand with which he strikes, and his foot with which he walks. Were he to ask something of me, I would surely give it to him. And were he, and were he to ask me for refuge, I would surely grant it for him. Grant him for it. And I think that that's all that we want. You want the one who created the perfect path to and who who carved out the perfect path for you to become not necessarily a part of you, but the one. Yes, to to an extent, that's what this ayah is saying. Is that when you have Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in mind, he, the the God consciousness of him, the thought of him becomes a piece of you. And if you, why wouldn't you want the one who carved this beautiful, the, the perfect path to not carve you and carve your path in your life to align perfectly with the perfect path? So you can one day hear or tranquil soil enter my paradise, you know? And I just think that, I don't know, it just makes me, it makes me really emotional thinking about that. It's like, you just know that it's all worth it at the end of the day. Yeah, and I think that, you know, verse 162 of Surah Al-An'am, like, it keeps you in check, too, because if you know it, you know, you, you have to remember, Yanni, that you're, you're everything. It's for Allah's sake, so how could you possibly um, stray from that? Yeah. And that's not to say you won't fall or you won't make mistakes, but it is to, it's there to remind you all the time. Um, and when you were talking and you were saying, like, oh, like, imagine hearing those words from Allah... Another ayah came to my mind, and my mom actually got it made into a canvas, and it's in her in her room, and it's it's so so beautiful. But in Surah Al-Rad, Allah says, "Salamun alaykum bi maslabartum fani'amakubadar," and I think that that is also something that you just wish, Yani, with everything that you have, to be able to hear that. Salamun alaykum bi maslabartum. Like, can you even imagine? Allah says. Peace be upon you for your perseverance. You know, and this that's all that this life is. It's a bunch of tests. It's a bunch of staying patient, even through the good times, even through the easy times, but especially through the difficult times. It's about it's about it's about being patient. It's about staying steadfast, even when everything in you just wants to give up sometimes. Um, So, yeah, how excellent is this ultimate abode, essentially? Um, And when you were talking about, you know, why wouldn't you want Allah to be? All of those things for you, you know, the, the sight by which you see or the, the hearing or whatever. Which I don't remember. Hear, yeah. yeah, in which you hear. That kind of goes into the next ayah of Al-An'am 164. Allah says, Say, O Prophet, why should I seek a Lord other than Allah while he is the Lord of everything? Yeah. Right? If Allah is the one who created everything, why are we looking for anything else? If Allah is the creator of everything, and of course he is, if Allah is the one who fashioned us so perfectly... Why are we going after anything else? Why are we seeking anything else? So this ayah says, No one will reap except what they sow. No soul burdened with sin will bear the sin of another. Then to your Lord is your return, and he will inform you of your differences. So if you have this all-knowing God, this all-just God, why are we seeking anything else? Why wouldn't we want to be fully devoted to him, fully submitted to him? Why would we not want to be pleasing to him? Right? Why should we ever seek anything or anyone else to worship? So I think that just kind of 
played right yeah. in to the next to the next aya. And I think that you know, reflecting on this aya, it's so beautiful whenever I'm always fascinated by the parallels that you see in the Quran. That's what makes it such a beautiful and concise and clear book. Um, but throughout the Quran, also there is. I don't know if they're necessarily rhetorical questions, but they're like, um, yeah, I guess the rhetorical questions because there's don't really only one answer to them. Yeah. Um, throughout the Quran, when it's Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is addressing those who take other who believe in other things besides Him, and so, and so there is one ayah in what surah is this? I think it's Surah Al Hajj, uh, the twenty second ayah in the Quran, right? Yes, and so surah. it says mm-hmm. Surah Al Quran. Yes, and it says people. People, here is an illustration. So I listen was literally carefully. about to bring this up. Yeah. So listen carefully. <laughs> Those who you call on besides God could not even, if they combined all their forces, create a fly. And if their fly, and if a fly took something away from them, they would not be able to retrieve it. How feeble are the petitioners, and how feeble are those they petition? And I think that's such a powerful powerful verse because it illustrates using such a simple analogy it illustrates how all of these things that you worship regardless if it's your wealth which a lot of people worship their wealth a lot of people worship their power um, a lot of people invoke other gods besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and give them the power regardless if it's like and other religions give them the power that should only be attributed to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is recognizing this in this in this ayah and this is the 73rd ayah of Surah Al-Hajj, by the way. Um, and he's saying that even if they tried and they put everything together, they cannot create something simply because he is the creator. So why would you believe in something that can't even, that can't even, that can't create something, that can't protect you, that if something was taken away from you, cannot give it back to you? And think about that. Everything that happens to us in our lives happens for a reason. Every single thing that's been given to us was given with purpose and every single thing that was taken away from us was taken away with purpose and sometimes Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala like we always say he's going to replace the pieces or sometimes he's going to return that thing back to you when you're ready whatever the case is but the reality is only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can do that that power only lies in his hands and so there's a Yasmin Mujahid um, reflection on this ayah specifically in her book I think it's Reclaim Your Heart and it says, it's on page 55 if anyone has that book, but I feel like we're the only ones that do. <laughs> I'm like, I'm we just that. keep referring to You it guys like should totally get it. it. But she says on page 55, the message of this ayah is deeply profound. Every time you run after, seek, or petition something weak or feeble, you too become weak or feeble. Mm-hmm. Even if you do not reach the, what you seek, it will never be enough. You will soon need to ask, you will, oh, hold on. It's like, I have a picture of it. You will soon need to seek um, some something else. You will never reach to true contentment or satisfaction. Satisfaction. That satisfaction? is satisfaction. <laughs> it, look, it's a really blurry picture. Wow, words are not working today. That is why we live in a world of trade-ins and upgrades. Your phone, your car, your computer, your woman, your man can always be traded in for a newer, better model. How? Um, and then, so I was just really like thinking about it. But Allah Subhanahu wa Taala tells us like true true guidance comes from something that's distinct from error. And so I just think that that's really beautiful in and of itself. And there are other ayats throughout the Quran where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, he mentions this, mentions this concept. Um, 
and those who basically follow their own desires. So in Surah Al-Qasas, it says, So if they fail to respond to you, then know that they only follow their desires. And who could be more astray than those who follow their desires with no guidance from Allah? Surely Allah does not guide the wrongdoing people. And I remember when I, when I memorized this ayah, I was really thinking about that. Like, when we choose not to, like, when we were talking about earlier about this battle between the nafs and our, our striving for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and I was really thinking about it, like, when we choose to to carve our own path, we, we're turning away from guidance. We're literally going in 180, we're going in the opposite direction. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, you choose to do that, that's fine, then I'm not going to help guide you. You know, and everyone can always come back. You can always come back to your last breath, obviously. Like my mom always says, there's always a second chance until your last breath. But, but I was just really thinking about that. It's that... You want Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the creator, the one, the, per- the perfect, you know, the exalted, the almighty, to, to carve your perfect path in your life. You want it to be him that guides you and everything that you dedicate your life for, be for him and him only. But when you do, when you follow your desires, your desires are flawed. And they're not going to get you anywhere. Maybe for a little, little bit, your desires might lead you in the right direction, but you just continue to follow it and follow it and follow it, you're going to end up in a dead end. And like that ayah says, you have to, you know, or that it's alluding to, you have to go somewhere else. You have to seek something else. And when you're at, in that position, when you have just followed your, your desires and followed your whims and you have chosen to take other things and invoke other things as your God, as your ilah, and not Allah, then then you surely, you've wronged yourself. I think that's something we have to... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> this episode is all over the place. See, she sneezes and we... <laughs> yeah, we like, praise why God. Why wouldn't you want exactly. to do it without Allah? Why, why do you choose to do it without Him? Yeah. I think that's really the big question. Yeah. Um, and then, just to kind of finish off, yeah, right, last ayah, 165, um... Allah says he is the one who has placed you as successors on earth and elevated some of you in rank over others, so he may test you with what he has given you. Surely your Lord is swift in punishment, but he is certainly all-forgiving and most merciful. So I just want to say something quickly about this ayah where Allah says, So Allah says he's basically he's given some of you more than others, right? Some people have more wealth, some people have more beauty, some people have more intelligence, some people, whatever, right? All of us have varying levels of all of these different factors, but Allah tells us the purpose of that, right? It's not so we can look at each other in jealousy or say, oh, I wish I had what this other person has. Um, It's literally because, first of all, Allah knows what each and every one of us are going to do with what we have been given, and Allah gives us to our capacity, Right? So we know that Allah does not test someone beyond what they can bear. Wealth is a test, even if you're super rich, right? So I think shifting your mindset to understand that will help, you know, just kind of bring this whole picture together. Um, But the reason why we have varying levels of certain things is because we're tested with different things than other people, right? So if I have a lot of money and someone else doesn't, what am I doing with that money? Right? What is that person in the situation where they're poor doing with their situation? Are they blaming things on Allah? Whatever the case may be, you have to understand that we are tested differently. We're given different things so that we can be tested in these differences. You know, imagine if we all had the same exact things, right? Same thing of everything. I don't think the world could go around like that because it takes certain people to make innovations, 
-hmm. It takes certain people to make advances in certain fields. Not every single person can do that. So it is a test because each and every one of us have different capacities, different abilities, and Allah knows that. And he gives us according to what we can handle. Um, the last point I wanted to make was just something that's just paying attention to the wording of the end. So Allah says that he is swift in punishment, but he is certainly all forgiving, most merciful. So, yeah. So we have that extra lam, right? Allah says he is swift in punishment, but he is indeed, he is certainly all forgiving, most merciful. To me, and I know to some people maybe who are not Muslim or who are like anti-God, which is, you know, stuff with Allah, but like a lot of them might might be like, how could that be something that you take comfort in? But to me, that verse, honestly, and there's many like it in the Quran, but that makes me smile because Allah, first of all, he says the punishment first. And usually when you, especially if you're ending off a surah like this, a whole chapter, what you end with is really like powerful, mm -hmm. you know? And it makes, it makes a big impact because you finish on that. It's like when people get up and give speeches and their last sentence is like so good and everyone's like, wow, that was mm -hmm. amazing. Um, what you end off with is really powerful and it sticks with people. So Allah does not say, you know, like Allah doesn't bring the punishment up at the end of the surah just to end off with that. Allah says, yes, I am swift in punishment. If I need to punish, I will. But I am certainly the most forgiving, the all-merciful. You have that added emphasis. There's a little bit more, right? So, um, yeah, that's that's kind of what I wanted to draw everyone's attention to. Um, and, yeah. Yeah, and I have one more point, and I, I talked a lot this episode. But there is another ayah that's similar to the ayah that I brought up from Surah Al-Qasas. But it says, Have you seen, O Prophet, those who have taken their own desires as their God? So once again, following your desires. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has, has left them to stray knowingly, sealed their hearing and hearts, and placed a cover on their sight. Who then can guide them after Allah? Will you all not then be mindful? And I think that's another, that's another, um, it's a reality check, really. When you don't, when you don't have everything in your life, your prayer, your sacrifice, your life and your death, and when they're not all for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and you have chosen to dedicate your life to something completely meaningless, you have to realize that you're returning to, to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, to Him we belong and to Him we shall return, right? And um, so that's just kind of what happens to you. That's what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will, will justly give you when you choose to turn away from Him, right? But when you, when you do good for the sake of Allah and you recognize that your rewards are going to be amplified for when you do things for the sake of Allah and you have dedicated your life to Him, you know, and there's an ayah in Surah Al-Baqarah that says, and, and ayah 207, I believe, and there are those who would dedicate their lives to Allah's pleasure and Allah is ever gracious to His servants. When you do everything that we were talking about in that ayah of Surah Al-An'am 162, it all pays off because he's going to be gracious to you. And how is he going to be gracious to you? In this life, like I was saying, you know, you will, he becomes the sight in which you see and in the hearing in which you hear and all of the things and the, and the feet and legs in which you walk, right? And all of that pays off because like that ayah that I mentioned in Surah Al-Fajr, those couple ayat, you will end up being that tranquil soul that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is talking to you. And he will tell you to return to him well pleased because he was, you were pleasing to him, 
and he will tell you to join his servants and he will tell you to join his paradise and that's all we could ever ask for so, yeah, and I think yeah. it's so interesting when Allah says, oh, tranquil soul. Yeah. Because, you know, yeah, when you're about to enter paradise, of course you're going to be, like, overjoyed and, and very tranquil. But I, I can't help but feel like maybe that's also a reference to, to here, to you living in this life. I never Even that. if you had hardships, when you have faith, you really do have a level of contentment and tranquility that nothing else can give you. And we're literally seeing that playing out before our eyes. Yeah. So I wonder if that refers to, you know, here as well, that, that you're, you were honestly, even though maybe you were surrounded by so much hardship and pain and you felt imprisoned as the believer does in this dunya, you were content. Yeah. And I'm telling you, that goes back to the reason why I really think it was the reason why the Muslim ummah, those in Palestine, in that holy land, were the ones that were chosen. Everyone is chosen for something. Like Samaya was talking about how, you know, you, you need different people for different things. They were chosen for that test to show us that when you have Allah, you have true contentment. And when you have Allah, it fills every single hole that could possibly be needed to be filled within your heart, regardless of how much sadness and emptiness you may be feeling. When you have Allah, you have everything. Yeah. Um, so that was a long episode, but yeah. I loved it. So thank you guys so much for listening. And inshallah, you will hear from us next week.